Good morning. It's great to be here again, as always. <laughs> it's the new thing, right? Today, I want to continue to share about worship. Now, if you were here last week, then you would have heard Dave mention that worship's always been something that's really important to us and something we're really passionate about. And we could probably talk about it for months. But I promise you, that's not our plan. But in the meantime, we really felt like this was something we really wanted to share on, to share our heart, um, and to just really encourage you in this, in this really important thing. Yeah. Now, I haven't had quite the same level of involvement, involvement that Dave has with the worship team at Life Church, but I've been around for a while. Yeah. And I was part of the team from the late 90s through till uh, the beginning of 2019 when I started doing more within Life Kids. And I've always loved expressing worship through singing and music, whether that was in the car or in church or with headphones in as I was walking around the neighborhood. Probably didn't sing out loud so much in those times. And I can remember times as a child when I'd shut the door to my room and I'd have music up really loud and I would just dance in the room just to express my agreement with the songs that were playing. And they were being played on a stereo cassette player. I don't know how many of you would even remember or know what those things are, but I was very surprised to see that actually you can go to Noel Leeming's and you can buy one. And they are considered retro. Now they do have Bluetooth, which was not something that we had. What we had was these really cool levers for graphic equalizer, and you could, there was generally three of them, and you could move them up and down and make the sound change, and I had no idea what I was doing, but it was really cool. It was a bit like magic, but I couldn't imagine not being able to sing and make music as an expression of worship right. to God. Yeah. Now, we know that worship is important to God, and he invites us into this integral part of relationship with him. Throughout the Bible, we are commanded to sing praises to him, to give him the glory that he deserves. You know, the entire book of Psalms, and I think sometimes we lose this with our devices and how we look at the Bible, but when you have a physical Bible, which I meant to bring mine, when you have a physical Bible, the book of Psalms is right in the middle. It's made up of 150 chapters, which makes it the, the, has the highest number of verses out of any of the books of the Bible, and it's about 5%. And it's a book of worship. A book of worship to God. So not only that, in Romans 12.1, it urges us to be living sacrifices, for this is our spiritual act of worship, showing that worship is clearly not just about raising our voices to sing. Yeah. Worship is important to God. You know, over the centuries, corp corporate worship has also probably been one of the most contentious and debated issues in church. Right. The church has come a long way from trying to figure out whether Gregorian chant was more holy than singing with melody and with, with songs that were more than just monotone. Yeah. In our context, we no longer debate whether it's acceptable to use an organ or a keyboard or electric guitars or drums, yeah. which today we didn't even have drums. Yeah. We used an iPad to yeah. play drums. Yeah. And today's issues are more around whether are lights really, really of God, or can we use smoke machines? Is that really, is that really holy? Yeah. And in 50 or 100 years, there's probably going to be some new technology that will be hotly debated. But worship is not defined by instruments or technology. No. These are simply tools, yeah. things that we use to open the gates so that others can come and enter into corporate worship. Right. There are actually many Hebrew words used in the Bible to describe worship. And you know, there's, there's really only one, zamar, that is specific to singing with instruments. Yeah. 
out of all the Hebrew words. Worship is about so much more than that one expression. It's about putting God first. It's not really about us at all. In a world that is constantly telling us that we need to put our own needs, our own wants, our own preferences first, worship puts God first. When we exalt God, we lift him above all other things. We cannot put God and ourselves first at the same time. Another Hebrew word, yadah, means to extend your hands in thanksgiving and praise, a posture that not only indicates surrender, but also lifts him up. God, I put you first. I thank you for all that you've done. In Colossians 1, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Worship acknowledges that we are created by him and for him. And not only are we created by him and for him, but this alone is reason enough to worship him. As we heard in Revelation last week, this was enough for the 24 elders to say over and over, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Worship is part of who we are created to be. To live a life that glorifies God, not just by singing on a Sunday morning, but by our words and our actions through the week. When we were unable to gather during lockdown... Worship didn't suddenly cease. And if you were with us then, then you'll know it looked a bit different. It looked like our living room, (laughs) combined with your living room. It didn't look the same, but worship didn't cease. And in fact, for many people, it led to a greater understanding of what worship actually is. When we bring glory to God, that is worship. Worship comes from the overflow of our hearts. The more we love Jesus, the more we desire to worship him in everything that we do. I'd love for you to turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, and it's going to be on the screen for you to follow along as well. Now, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now there are some key things in this, in this account that we can learn um, from the story. And the first is that worship is not about our worthiness, but about his. This sinful woman, who most agree this description meant that she was likely a prostitute, heard that Jesus was going to be at the Pharisee's house. She was a woman shunned by the Pharisees and most of society and was only able to be there owing to the custom that allowed needy people to visit and gather the leftovers from the feast. Her life to date was anything but worthy. Not only did she not let her own, own unworthiness stop her, but she was compelled to bring an extravagant gift, an alabaster, I can't say that word today, an alabaster, alabaster jar of perfume. Everyone say alabaster. alabaster. Good, that makes me feel better. Alabaster as a stone, it's similar to marble, not quite as valuable, but it was used to decorate the temple. Um, it had a lot of, oh, it, it was in common use, but it, it had great value. And it was often carved into jars that had these long necks, as it was ideal to store expensive perfumes in. They would then be sealed with wax around the top, so the only way to get the perfume out was to actually break the neck of the bottle, and then once it was open, the perfume had to be used. Now, we don't know the size of this jar. It may not have been very large, and it doesn't tell us what it is worth, but we know from other accounts in the Bible of similar objects, similar jars of perfume, that it was considered to be valuable. It may have been this woman's only thing of value, and for her to bring it was not a decision she made lightly. She didn't just grab it on the way out the door, yeah, this'll do, but was intentional about bringing this item to bless Jesus with it. If you look at 2 Samuel in verse 24, we read about the account of David building an altar to worship God and insisting on paying for the animals used. He was being offered all these animals to, to use as the, as the burnt offering, and he's like, no, 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 no. I will not sacrifice to the, Lord my God, to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. He understood that it was important, that he'd, he'd, there was something of value to him. Right. This jar of perfume was definitely something that would have cost this woman. But here's the thing. When this woman knelt at Jesus' feet, wept and wiped her, his feet with her tears, and then poured perfume on them, was she thinking about her own worthiness or lack of? Right. Or the cost of her gift? Right. Or was she thinking about Jesus? In this moment, she recognized something that the Pharisees did not. Jesus deserved her worship. Who she was did not stop her from bringing this gift. And in fact, Jesus tells us that because of her sins, she was all the more thankful for forgiveness. She certainly seems to realize that Jesus was more than just a man. Perhaps she had heard something of the promised Messiah and realized that this was who Jesus was. She understood that Jesus was worth the cost of her actions. The reality is that none of us are worthy in our own right of even approaching Jesus. The Pharisees looked down on this woman because of her life, but failed to recognize their own need of a savior, their own unworthiness. Even David, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, and he's probably our, our greatest example of, of what it means to be a worshiper. He made mistakes. He made decisions that impacted on his worthiness. None of us are worthy except that he has made us worthy. Yeah. Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, is the only one worthy of our worship. Right. It's not about what we have done, 
but all about who he is. Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His sacrifice was not because we earned it. In Ephesians 1, from verse 3, we read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Not only are we adopted as sons and daughters, but it says here that God lavishes his grace upon us. His grace is given to us in generous or extravagant quantities, not just enough to meet or cover our sin, our shame, and our unworthiness, but over and above in such generous quantities as to obliterate the record of our sin and our shame and our unworthiness. His grace has made us worthy, and because of this, our worthiness is not what's important. The woman in this passage recognized Jesus for all that he represented, and understood he was worthy of her worship. Worship is not about our worthiness, but his. Worship also cannot be stopped by what others may think. This woman did not let what others think stop her from bringing her gift. We read in verse 39 that the Pharisees not only thought Jesus should recognize her for what she was, that because of that, he shouldn't allow her to approach him and worship him in the way that she was. I do think it's quite funny that that Simon's there and he's talking to himself and maybe muttering and saying, oh, I can't believe that Jesus is letting this woman do this. And Jesus says, Simon, let me tell you a story. And I don't know, I don't know how much he heard of what Simon said, but we know for sure that he saw into Simon's heart. But let's just stop and imagine for a moment what an occasion like this would be like. Generally, the wealthy, those of high position and esteem, those of importance or influence, would gather together and the table would have been a feast that represented their wealth and social standing. As I already mentioned, the custom of the day was that the poor and needy were able to come and gather leftovers. To do so, however, would require great desperation and or humility. You wouldn't just waltz in and think, oh, I'll have that bunch of grapes. Maybe I'll just help myself to this bowl of cheese. There would have been cheese. In all likelihood, the needy would have tried to sneak in maybe towards the end of the meal. They'd come and they'd pick the scraps left on the table, maybe some that had fallen to the floor, all the while being reminded of and aware of the contrast between those who were able to recline at the table, the invited, and themselves. This was not a custom the Pharisees followed in order to bless the needy, but from what we know of the Pharisees, it was more likely one they did to ensure they followed the law which required them to look after the poor. It is fair to assume that the best of the feast was probably already gone, already consumed by those invited. Those that were coming in to get leftovers would have tried to do so in a manner that would draw the least attention to themselves. The last thing they would want was to have the attention of the room. But this woman was different. She approached Jesus, an invited guest, all the while knowing that the other guests around the table would judge her for her action, possibly even correct her. This was the ultimate act of humility. How often have you found yourself wondering what the person next to you might think? 
We are conditioned by society, especially in New Zealand, to not draw attention to ourselves. And I think that sometimes that carries over into our worship. I can remember as a teen, or possibly even a pre-teen, wanting to lift my hands in worship, but wondering what everyone would think. Would they be looking at me? Would I do it right? What if I hit the person next to me? Raise your hands if you've ever done that before. I've done multiple times. What if people, <laughs> what if people thought I was doing it for attention? How loud should I sing? What if I sing the wrong note? Probably done that before too. Or the wrong word? Definitely done that before. What about you, Lauren? Yeah. If you've ever worried about any of these things, just remember that the Bible tells us to make a joyful noise, yeah. not a tuneful one. Yeah. The Hebrew word for this is shabach, meaning loud praise. Any of us can declare what is true about God. It doesn't need to be the prettiest or the best sounding. Imagine what worship could look like if we use the same enthusiasm as the crowds at a sports game. A number of years ago, when the TV show American Idol was still fairly new, and that does date me a little bit, it was a favourite of ours to watch. I used to watch a little bit in awe of these young people, most of them a similar age to us or younger, many of them from small towns, get up on a huge stage and sing in front of massive crowds. They didn't just stand there and sing either, but they did it confidently and they performed and they were all around the stage and singing their hearts out. And I was, I was thinking, how do they not get stage fright? How do they go from this one place to this massive stage with all these people and not care what anybody else thinks? I remember on one of those occasions, God challenged me with a thought. If they can do that for their own glory, how much more can you do for mine? Wow. These young guys and girls were in pursuit of fame and fortune, yet our reward is so much more. What was holding me back? This was a huge revelation for me and really changed how I approached worship and the choices I made when worshipping. Whether it was on stage leading or in the congregation, I wanted to worship with freedom, not holding back because somebody might think I looked a bit funny and not because I wanted to perform but to be able to worship with reckless abandon because he's worth it. In Luke 19, we read about the triumphal entry where Jesus was heading to Jerusalem not long before his arrest and his crucifixion. And if we pick it up at verse 37, it says, when he came to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The Pharisees could not handle the crowd worshipping Jesus with such reckless abandon. I think it must have been pretty loud, but these people were not going to let anyone stop them from shouting praises to him. You could imagine the Pharisees, who were all about the law and decorum and the right way of doing things, looking down their noses a little bit as the disciples praised Jesus. But I love Jesus' response. If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I don't ever want to be out worshipped by a rock. (laughs) Worship is not dependent on how we feel. The woman in Luke did not allow any feelings of shame, 
or fear or anything else stop her from worshipping Jesus. God is worthy of our worship regardless of the emotions that we are feeling or the circumstances that we are going through. Now this doesn't mean that in the midst of grief or pain that God expects us to jump around and sing and ignore whatever it is that we're feeling. That isn't authentic worship. What God wants is for us to draw near to him in worship. If we follow the example of David, worship is one of the ways that we exalt God above our circumstances and our feelings. Many of the Psalms, not just those attributed to David, start with a lament, but then move to declaring God's character, his faithfulness, how worthy he is of our praise. When David had fled from Saul, for he knew that the king had intended to kill him and was hiding in a cave, I'm pretty sure that his feelings were things like fear and abandonment and loneliness, maybe even despair. And one of the Psalms believed to have been written during this time was Psalm 57, And we can read from verse 4 where it says, I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Doesn't sound very nice. (laughs) Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path but they themselves have fallen into it. In verse 7, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Hmm. While he was in a cave, fearing for his life. When we can't find the words to worship, that is when we need to remind ourselves of all that he has done and all that he is capable of. When we sing a lyric like, one word from you, things change on your authority. It's not just a nice thing to sing. It's reminding our soul of who he is and the power that we have in his name. The Hebrew word safar means to mark or record or write down with the intent to remember and celebrate what God has done. This is so when we can't see past our present, we can use what he has done in the past to speak to our future. Worship lifts our eyes off our circumstances and fixes them firmly on his greatness on his power and his authority. It reminds us that he is worthy and he is faithful and bigger than anything that we might face. You know, the day after my father died, I surprised quite a few people. I was 16 years old and I surprised lots of people by going to church. I still remember actually they were, you know, doing the church family news and telling everybody what had happened and and the pastor turned over and he saw me there and it kind of got a little bit lost for words because he didn't expect me to be in the room. But where else would I be? I wanted to be in the midst of people worshipping so that even if I couldn't sing the words, I could be reminded by what everybody else was singing how much he loved me and he was with me and that he was still worthy of my praise and my worship. Could I get all the words out? No. Could I stand in silence and agree with them? Yeah. Do I expect everyone to do the same? No. But next time you don't feel like worshipping because of whatever it is that you are facing, 
why don't you make a little time and space? Put a CD on super loud, maybe with headphones if you've got flatmates or small children sleeping or whatever your circumstances. And just allow your soul to agree with the words being sung or the music being played. Tim, you can come back. Now, we don't all worship the same, but we are all created to worship. And the devil will try anything he can to stop us from giving glory to God now because he knows and he understands that one day even he will join with every creature, every tribe, every tongue, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I don't want to waste a single minute of my now to bring worship to Jesus, who, is al- who alone is worthy of it all. In a moment, we're going to sing the song that we learned last week, Where Would I Be Without You? And actually, I'd love to open up the front for prayer. And I know that it can be really awkward getting out of the aisles, but in preparing this message, I just felt like for some people in the room, there's a battle over your worship. For some people, you don't feel like your worship is acceptable or that you're good enough for God. You feel unworthy that that who you are or where you've come from means that you can't worship Him. And there are some in the room who are finding that not just in corporate worship, but in living for Jesus day to day, you're holding back in fear of what others might think. Maybe right now you feel like your circumstances, what you are currently going through, are making it impossible to worship. We'd love to pray with you and proclaim freedom and a fresh revelation of who God is what his grace means for you, and how much he loves you. And for everybody else, you know, you may not fit those categories. Can I just encourage you that as we worship, don't be outsung by the rocks. Give God your everything because he is so worthy of our praise.